Welcome to Muscle Maven Radio. I'm your host, Ashley Van Houten. Today, we are talking about oral health, um, but we're talking about it from maybe a different perspective than we're used to. Um, I'm speaking with Dr. Stephen Lin. He is a functional dentist, which you may not have heard that term before. It's because he basically coined it a few years back, but um, it's basically addressing much more about our oral health than simply how much sugar you're eating. Do you have cavities? Do you have crooked teeth? Um, just how incredibly crucial oral health is to the rest of our health. Um, issues related to jaw and facial structure, breathing mechanics, gut health, digestion, all of this stuff. There's so much more to um, the connection between our mouth and the rest of our health. So in this episode, we're gonna talk about kind of what a functional dentist really is. Um, there are more and more of them, but it is still kind of a, a niche subsection of the industry. Um, we talk about things like the importance of nasal breathing for um, jaw development and oral health, the importance of tongue posture, which you may also have never heard of before. Um, things like, can you proactively and positively impact jaw structure in like children and young people. Can you reverse cavities and tooth decay once they've started? Um, the prevalence and danger of sleep apnea, which is an oral issue in many cases. And it's not just for, I think there's a, a misconception that sleep apnea is for like older overweight men, for example, and that's not always or even mostly the case, it turns out. So we talk about all of that and more. Um, it's really, really fascinating. It's really, um, this one's full of a lot of information. So you might want to take notes. You might want to listen to this more than once, but I think it's really, really important. Um, the takeaway being, as it kind of always is in these episodes, that um, there's so much more to good health than we think, but there is so much more that we can be doing every day in all of our choices and decisions um, to be improving our overall health and the health of our children and our families and, and all of that. So I really appreciate Dr. Lynn coming on. He's all the way in Australia, so he had to get up early to do this for me. Um, and I hope that you enjoy it. If you do, please, please do share it uh, with anyone that you think could benefit. Please leave a rating and review so that I can keep doing this awesome work. And as always, I'm open and, and willing to hear feedback. So please do reach out to me on my website, ashleyvanhouten.com, or you can talk to me on Instagram at the muscle maven. And, uh, we can talk about oral health because why not? Let's add another layer to the health nerd conversation. Why don't we? All right. Without further ado, here is my chat with the awesome Dr. Lynn. All right, Dr. Lynn, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here and, and doing this first thing in the morning across the earth. So I appreciate it. Yeah, us Australians, we really have to kind of get up early to talk to people, right? We're on the other side. But thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I appreciate it. And listen, I mean, if it makes you feel any better, I'm like near the end of the day. And so I'm kind of not, I'm going to try to be as with it as I possibly can, but I'm like shutting her down over here too. So like, we'll do the best we can with, with what we've got. You're, you're always with it, right? You're always with it. <laughs> no, I can, I can like pretend. I can pretend pretty good. Um, so I have so many questions. Like I said, offline, I have so many questions I would love to ask you, but I think 
maybe the best place to start is really high level and you just telling our audience what a functional dentist is and, and how you're different from a regular dentist, because I've, I've heard about the type of work that you do. And obviously I've done some research on what the kind of work you specifically are putting out there for us to, to, you know, consume and, and learn from. Um, but I don't think it's a common term that people are really familiar with. So please enlighten us, let us know what it is that you do. Yeah, it's true. Um, functional dentistry isn't a well-known term in that it's actually a, a term I, I coined uh, a few years ago after um, after going and learning a lot about functional medicine, working a lot with functional medicine practitioners, um, thinking that the, the dental model was incomplete. Uh, and the way I came to it actually was that uh, I wrote my book, The Dental Diet, which was about uh, the nutritional basis of um, dental disease and rethinking some of the disease processes that we, you know, we really kind of, um, you know, pinpointed and maybe sat to the side and thinking that we've mastered and, you know, we have some of these things, you know, more or less worked out. And I've really felt that we weren't asking bigger questions as to, you know, really why some of these some of these diseases were happening and how we're really understanding the root cause. So after spending a lot of time with um, different functional medicine practitioners around the world, I began to see that there's a whole world of connecting the mouth into this root cause medicine movement that I thought functional dentistry really summed up well. Um, and there's been a movement of dentists doing great work like this, you know, since about the eighties now, um, and well, it goes back to Weston A. Price actually, who was kind of the original functional dentist, and he was the he was really on top of you know these principles. But what um, you know the the movement of holistic and biological dentistry has been really focused around the materials we use and using biological materials that that don't harm the mouth and so forth. So that's a big conversation in itself. Um, and then there's some dentists that have been working in the area of, you know, how do nutrients and how do systemic issues, you know, play into come into play with the mouth. But for me, I felt that it, it was a little bit incomplete in terms of, you know, were we really kind of getting the whole picture? Um, and so functional dentistry is very growth and development focused, prevention focused, so that we look at the, um, the human uh, development process and, and teeth really show us that in, you know, sharp um, clarity, how growth and development of the jaw and the teeth really is affected by what we eat and how we sleep and how we use our craniofacial system. And so that is an area that is, um, that is practice in some in some pockets in dentistry, it's called myofunctional orthodontics and how we use growth and development um, uh, techniques to prevent braces instead of just um, put braces on the child. Um, and, but so all of these, these um, techniques, so understanding that there are root causes to systemic issues patients have, but then using biological treatments that don't potentially interfere or harm uh, because of their incompatibility incompatibility in the mouth, but then also having this focus on growth and development and understanding where issues came from. You know, uh, there's a big connection between how we use our mouth and all the connection to the airway and so forth. And it all plugs into this nice model that actually dentists can have such a, a profound role in the health of 
of our patients and also helping people to really nut down into difficult health problems so that they don't get good answers elsewhere because some things really simplify in the mouth um, and that we can really find sharp answers as to how we, you know, how we move forward um, for better health instead of just being chronically ill. There is so much going on there. I knew this was going to be a problem. I'm like, where where do I even start? Um, some of this stuff does make a, a lot of logical sense when you think about it. Like most of the people who listen to this podcast understand um, sort of the concepts of like functional medicine and ancestral health and ancestral health principles and all of those things. And we know that digestion is... Um, an incredibly important part of overall health and digestion starts in the mouth, right? So this is a part of it that kind of makes a lot of sense to me. It's like, obviously, if our gut is like our second brain and the gut is so important and digestion is so important and the mouth and how we use it and what we're eating and all of those things are so crucial to the overall health picture, that makes sense. But even this element of like, breathing um, and jaw structure and like this concept, and you correct me if, if I'm wrong here, but it seems like one of the craziest things about the approach that you can take to like oral health is that stuff that I would have considered is like ev almost evolutionary. Like this is just how we are now because of our crappy lifestyle and culture can actually be um, molded in a different way and can be prevented or can be proactively addressed. Like I think a lot of this like concept that everybody needs braces and we all need to get our, um, our wisdom teeth out and we're our mouths are crowded and we have no room and all that stuff. Like I grew up kind of thinking like, that's just what our, that's like the next step for humans. Unfortunately, that's just sort of what we all are like. And that's not necessarily the case. Right. Yeah, and this is the whole um, problem and the, the message the Western A. Price was trying to get out there that um, the, the human jaw and our dental arch isn't meant to be uh, crowded or, you know, we were not meant to have um, impacted wisdom teeth. We, we should have 32 uh, teeth grow into our dental arch without any issue, and that means straight teeth. Um, and so the way he looked at this was that, you know, he compared um, – ancestral societies when they when they eat the modern diet and so what would happen is that in one generation the jaw would just shrink and so you and this was a real eye-opener for me um reading this as a conventionally trained dentist you know um you know nearly 80 years later i didn't get that i just didn't understand how that was a thing um because all i would see is the perspective that you're that that you're describing is that th this is normal you know we were taught to diagnose crooked teeth and to you know the different types and to understand the different treatment modalities but no one was asking why this was happening and it actually goes back you know it's spanning, you know, probably you know close to a century now, where this this problem has really stepped up in when we eat the industrial modernized diet. But Price showed back in the 30s that when you um, when you put people that have been eating ancestral food for you know generations, in one generation the the dental arch collapses, and so that was just really profound. And so what that began to show me is that there is some malleability here. There's some ways that we can um, understand, you know, how the, the dental arch develops. And then there's a whole, been a whole flow on and connection of the scientific understanding of what the, the craniofacial um, 
consequences are of having a small drawn face. And we have nearly a billion people on the, the, the planet now that have been diagnosed with um, sleep apnea. And so this is a direct problem with small jaws and underdeveloped airways. That is a problem that's missed from not being seen as normal development. So when we see kids today that have crooked teeth, that have open mouths, that have you know narrow faces, or that have the forward tilting heads, um, that don't um, that don't sleep well at night because they don't breathe well. Um, they're on their track to sleep apnea, and sleep apnea is happening earlier and earlier, by the way. But so the the issues that they um, that they are experiencing, it's all due to not eating the right thing to start with, but then the functional issues that flow on from that. So it becomes a very complex issue where the um we don't eat the right nutrients which don't give us the right growth factors for the for the um for the uh, jaw to grow so bone the osteoimmune system the skeletal system is all connected to what we put in and this is connected to the fat sol- soluble vitamins the price was identifying here he found exactly three nutrients he pinpointed to three you know we talk about so many, many different vitamins and minerals today but he said three nutrients control this whole system when we eat them properly um, and these are the fat soluble vitamins connected to vitamin d vitamin a vitamin k2 we can show exactly how they place bones and minerals now but we know the exact pathways that vitamin d require requires vitamin k2 um, in order to carry calcium into bones and teeth so osteocalcin which you find in your saliva you also find matrix gla protein which is a vitamin k2 dependent protein it's sitting in your saliva when you don't have enough uh, activated k2 in the mouth your your saliva cannot sequester calcium properly uh, out of um, the soft tissue, so your calcif- calcified plaque, but then into bones and teeth. And then so in a systemic effect, we, we don't mineralize our bones, but we don't, we don't have these nutrients and everything grows slower. So at the severe end, you have um, rickets, which is where the, the, um, the leg bone in kids is, um, is bent because it, it's literally bowing under the weight of the child. And that's because of, of deficiency because the, the body cannot place enough mineral there to support the weight of the skeletal system, which is just crazy when you think about it. And there has been a, a, a somewhat of a rise um, back into rickets due to vitamin D deficiency um, in the modern day. But this is a problem that we eliminated due to um, vitamin by discovering vitamin D in cod liver oil. And Price was just showing this in a, a little bit more detail and saying, look, you know, we as humans, when we don't eat the right food, our dental arch just collapses and then we suffer the problems as a result. You know, he, he noted some of the issues that people had um, in those societies that ate modern foods, you know, like things like they weren't talking about type two diabetes and so forth, but he was talking about infectious diseases. He was saying these people aren't as healthy as what their ancestors were. You know, they they seem to have more kind of um, infectious issues. They're not as healthy, not as um, vibrant as, as their uh, the people before them, but you keep eating those foods, which is this is from the 30s. So we're talking two, three generations now, and we get sicker and sicker and sicker. And that's when we have the heart disease um, epidemic pop up. We have type two diabetes pop up. Sleep apnea sits on top of that again. So it's one we don't talk about a lot, but there's a billion people on the planet with sleep apnea. And then the next one's Alzheimer's. And I don't think there's any after it. I think that's it. <laughs> Jeez. Okay. All right. I'm just trying to think of how I can organize <laughs> organize my questions here. How early 
is this problem appearing? Are we, should we be looking at breastfeeding? Should we be looking at like infants and how they're eating and the way they're eating? Is that how soon we should be doing this? Like how proactive can we be? Absolutely. But in some cases now I'm seeing it's too late. Um, Not too late in that um, we can't change it, but too late in terms of there's already effects on the, on the child. And, and so it, so Price noted that in um, ancestral societies, six to 12 months before conception, they would eat these diets rich in organs and all these um, foods rich in fat soluble vitamins, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, that's why, that's why I love, uh, I love, you know, uh, this approach to, to eating organs. And it's so important that people understand that. And it's that simple is that when you eat these foods, your body sequesters all the nutrients and your and, and, and everything happens as it should. So when, when um, women conceive and also men too, there's an epigenetic, epigenetic um, component to it. So when we conceive, when we're deficient in these um, nutrients, the child has less resources. And so what happens is that it seems that the, the, the mother will supply as much as she can, and then it will kind of switch off. And so one of the big things we're finding is that um, in newborns, their jaws just aren't, developed as as um as they used to be so if you look at anthropologically um kids didn't have the really set back um lower jawbone than they do today and, and we think it's normal um we've kind of classed it as being well it's normal for breastfeeding but when you look at some of the lower jaws of newborns now they really are set a long way back into their into their airway and these kids are already set off in terms of it's very difficult for them to breathe um, because their airway is constricted from the start. Um, and they also have a, a high narrow palate. So the, the roof of their mouth, which is, is, is more high and V-shaped. And that, that um, literally cramps the nasal sinus. So when you, when you um, decrease the volume of the, of the uh, roof of the mouth, you decrease the volume of the nasal airway. So it makes it difficult to breathe through the nose. And this has a huge flow on effect, especially for children. One of the, one of the first manifestations um, you'll have is um, trouble with breastfeeding. Um, the kids are tongue tied now because the, the tongues aren't releasing from the, the floor of the mouth. And this is a, that's a nutrient issue as well um, connected to spina bifida because um, we give um, mothers folic acid now to close up the neural tube at the bottom of the spine. But that zipping process, that closing of the neural tube happens all the way up the spine, right up to the, um, up to the, the roof of the mouth where we have clefts. Um, so kids with cleft lip, lips or palates that don't close. Now a tongue tie is most likely an issue due to, to processing these folic acid um, supplements because they're not completely um, bioavailable. Now, if we just got these these nutrients from food, it would all just happen itself. But then, so what happens is that kids don't breathe well and their jaws aren't growing as well as they can because they're not getting the nutrients. So with breast milk, vitamin D deficiency passes to the the newborn. So when you have a deficient mother, it directly goes straight into the newborn. And then the newborn is then working with what they have. Um, And so it, it, 
you then find the kids that are they're growing teeth and sometimes the teeth will just be rotten because um you know they, they just don't have the the diet and then also the um there's there's issues in the womb when when the teeth are forming all the teeth are forming in the in the baby's jaw in the womb um and it, it it's really quite tragic but there are ways that we can you know, build the foundations again so the kids can grow and develop. But it's going back to before conception. I, I even think it's it's intergenerational. You know, I think we're kind of copying what our grandparents and parents had to had to take, and that we really need to move forward into you know, kind of getting back to what the generations before that did. Mm-hmm. Well, as someone who I have not talked about this much, but by the time this podcast comes out, it will be known that I am pregnant. Um, so as somebody who is like very hyper interested in this stuff, it makes me feel a little bit better knowing that I have just been like crushing organ meats for the last couple of years. And I mean, I can't say like, of course I want every man, woman, and child to have my book and read my book. I can't say what, you know, anything with any certainty, but I will tell you that I think how frequently I was eating liver for the last few years certainly didn't have a detrimental effect on how easily I was able to become pregnant. Um, and the fact that I, I, you know, knock on wood, these things are genetic as well, but I've had a pretty, um, pretty like, you know, healthy pregnancy and I've been eating organ meats throughout the pregnancy as well. I haven't had, um, a lot of nausea or anything like that. And it's like, it's nature's, it's nature's prenatal. It's like nature's multivitamin. I mean, it is the most, as you said, it's like bioavailable nutrient dense food. And the, the sooner we can get that into our diets and also even into our kids' diets. I mean, I know people who are feeding their kids, you know, liver pate and bone marrow and things like that. Um, but aside from that, aside from like what, you know, of course, our, the parents should be doing to prepare and, and um, create the best environment for their growing baby, once the baby is out and, you know, that stage is done and as the child's developing, what are some things that we can be doing to at least um, prevent further damage, to try to reverse some of the issues that are happening? Because you're talking about this direct link between jaw structure and mouth structure and like ability to breathe properly. Um, What are some things we can be doing with kids that can improve this whole structure and this process? Yeah, so the... the the big direction for kids is that we need to get them breathing through the nose um, because when we breathe through the mouth, it uh, takes away a lot of the posture of the, the, the oropharynx and the nasopharynx that um, is designed for us to deliver nitric oxide that is stored in the, the nasal sinuses and then use the immune system in the nose in order to build the respiratory system. So what happens is that the the bacteria that live in the nose are designed to filter the air and also warm the air and deliver um, warm uh, humidified air to the lungs. And and this is actually mixed with nitric oxide. So kids that breathe through the mouth, they completely miss out on this whole, um, this access to air that that, uh, really does help them to breathe. And so what you find is that very early on, if they um, if they start to move to mouth breathing, then uh, they'll 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 develop this habit, and that will become set in um, in stone. So I see it nearly in majority now. I'd see that most kids now are more um, you know 
have a bigger tendency towards mouth breathing. Um, and it's because parents just don't think about training their kid to, um, to, to breathe through the nose. And it's that simple is that you literally tell them to close their mouth when they're chewing. Um, you do little exercises with them to, um, to help them to breathe through the nose. And it's just, you know, in a child it's very simple. You're, you're about to find out actually how simple, simple kids are and also how complex are the same. <laughs> but simple the, doesn't um, mean easy, right? Yeah. yeah, that's right. Exactly. That's right. The, um, but kids are the, the the beauty about kids is that they are they do simplify things their their little minds work in very you know unilateral ways and that you can you know push them in the way that is going to you know be simple for them to understand but also to have simple outcomes and breathing through the nose is that simple now for some kids as some parents they they they're struggling with kind of congestion and if the if the problem's already there it's already an issue and so this is where techniques like potato breathing and learning to um learning to increase the the tolerance to nasal airflow really helps. So a lot of kids suffer from congested sinuses today. Um, one of the most important things a parent can do is actually in the early stages, not brush their teeth, but actually brush, clean their nose. Um, and that's because that if you, um, if you'll give the child a, a clean airway space, they're much more likely to feel comfortable breathing through the nose um, and and not have this issue with a congested sinus that really is 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 blocking their um, blocking their uh, their nasal breathing capacities. Mm-hmm. So, what are some ways we can do that? Like in infancy, like you've got these sort of like neti pot, like let the water go through thing. Like, is that is that stuff that would work? Like what, how do we do that? Yeah. So for a kid that's really congested, um, so in newborn, it's kind of like the, the there's a, like, it's not sucker. Yeah. They're great. They're really fun. Um, yeah. And the kids love it. <laughs> so glamorous being a parent. Yeah. So glamorous, right. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But then, so neti pots are great too for a little bit older. So once you get to about two, three, um, but then, so the, the simple exercise of um, it's, it's a breath hold. And so what you do is you get the child to take a, a big breath into the belly and pinch their nose and just hold the um, the breath as long as they can. And if you do the exercise yourself, you'll feel this pressure into the nasal sinuses. And what's happening is that carbon dioxide is building um, up into the, into the, the nasal cavity. And the, the feeling is that you get, you feel like you're going to suffocate. Um, but the, the whole problem with mouth breathing and, um, and shallow uh, respiratory cycles is that we don't become accustomed to carbon dioxide and that actually our brain really should be um, okay with the presence of carbon dioxide. And it, it, it um, partakes in half of the gas exchange in that carbon dioxide has to rise before the cells will, will um, unload oxygen. And so if you don't let carbon dioxide rise, you don't get efficient uh, turnover of um, oxygen into the cells. And so this, this feeling that we have of suffocating uh, when we're holding our breath is actually the brain not being used to carbon dioxide. It's panicking because of carbon dioxide. So when you help a child to feel okay with holding their breath and so you can time them and see we can get to say 20 or 30 seconds um, and longer in, in older children, you're building their, um, their resilience to carbon dioxide and helping their respiratory system balance and deliver gases as they're designed to. All right, I'm interrupting the podcast, but it's for a good reason. I'm talking about snacks, guys. Okay, very important topic. 
a topic that is near and dear to my heart because no matter how strict or healthy or crazy I get with my diet, I like to eat and I like snacks and I like treats that are healthy, that make me feel good, that don't make me feel like crap, but also I know are giving me nutrition and don't taste like I'm settling for something healthy. So all that to say, I'm very excited that we have yet another new partner for the show. This is a company that I've actually been a fan of for a really long time, um, but just recently connected with and learned a bit more about how they do things, um, how high quality and next level their products actually are. Um, I was always impressed with them, but even more so now that I've had time to chat with the founder, Autumn Smith, co-founder of Paleo Valley. Um, They make a number of supplements, which I can talk about at a later date. You can go check everything out at paleovalley.com. But I'm talking today about their superfood bars and their 100% grass-fed fermented beef sticks. They're so delicious. They come in a bunch of flavors. Um, I've been eating the beef sticks and their chocolate, I think double chocolate superfood bars, um, dark chocolate chip, that's right. Uh, every day um, because they sent them to me and I'm thinking, okay, these are grass-fed bone broth protein. They've got a ton of superfoods, including things like greens and broccoli and like greens powders, kale, stuff like that, which normally I'd be like, yeah, that's not really for me. I just give me the protein and the meat and the chocolate. Um, but these bars are really good. They taste like food. They don't taste like a lot of the um, sort of healthy or low carb or keto bars out there that are just full of like lab created sugars and chemicals. Um, they've got a ton of health benefits, blueberries, turmeric, ginger, Himalayan uh, salt, pumpkin seeds, and then of course chocolate. Um, So they've got protein, they're pretty low carb, decent amount of fat, they're just delicious. Um, Gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, all of that, low in sugar. Um, So they're delicious. And if you are somebody like me who wants to eat chocolate from time to time, who likes a protein bar when they, you know, go out for the day and want to have a snack, this is absolutely the kind of product that I think would be great for you. Um, So check them out. Go to paleovalley.com. I have a discount code. It's MMR. So that's Muscle Maven Radio, MMR for 15% off. Um, They're just awesome treats to have around, snacks to have on the go. If you're an outdoorsy person, if you, you know, don't want to wait to get home and make your own food or go to the gas station and get whatever nightmare they have there. This is the kind of smart snacking that you want to do. So I'm super impressed with this company. I will continue to tell you more about them and what they offer um, as we move forward, but just kind of wanted to put this note um, out there. If you're a snacker like me, this is kind of one of the best ways you can, you can do it. So go check out Paleo Valley. I appreciate that they are partnering with me and supporting the show, paleovalley.com, code MMR, get on it, dark chocolate chip superfood bar. So good. All right. Now back to the show. Mm -hmm. 
Okay. So going back to the sleep apnea piece, because another misconception that I think a lot of people had and that I certainly had, um, was the idea that sleep apnea was mostly an overweight person's problem and that it was more about like excess weight or maybe pressure around this area that was restricting breathing. And I think what you're saying is that there's like a, a structural component to it, um, that is affecting people that are not overweight there. It's affecting people who are quite young and and maybe otherwise seemingly very healthy. Um, can you talk a little bit about this seemingly, it seems like it's a growing problem and how we can uh, maybe prevent that, minimize that, start to fix that problem? Yeah, so, so it's, it's a hugely growing problem, but even more so that, than we're able to track um, epidemiologically because most people don't get diagnosed. And the reason is it's such a complex phenotypic presentation. Um, as you said, the, the most well-known is the overweight male, you know, 50, 60, snores like a train and, you know, everyone knows it and, and, and that's what we think sleep apnea is. But sleep apnea is actually just resistance in the airway. And so the way sleep apnea is diagnosed is through polysomnograph. Um, but what happens is that, the sleep uh, physician will only diagnose sleep apnea if there is sufficient pausing in the airway. So that's when literally there's enough apnea hypopnea, um, uh, uh, they call it the apnea hypopnea index where they're counting how long over a night someone is, isn't breathing. And it's terrifying if you're sitting next, laying next to someone and they're not breathing, it is absolutely terrifying if they're, if they are pausing their sleep. And you have, I have, um, you know, partners coming in to describe this, but I also have a lot of parents coming in as well saying my child pauses in their sleep. Um, and so some kids that pause won't even be diagnosed with sleep apnea because it doesn't reach the scale of the apnea the apnea hypopnea index yet. So you've got this whole population of people with what we call upper airway resistance syndrome. And so UARS is uh, not a medically recognized term yet, but it was um, coined in, in Stanford uh, at the sleep medicine um, uh center there where they found that people with a similar set of symptoms um, to sleep apnea, but were not diagnosed with sleep apnea actually um, had their symptoms uh, lessen with oral uh, mandibular advancement splints, which is splints that hold the jaw open. So they found that these people, and these weren't overweight people, these were um, middle-aged women. Um, they were tenderly, uh, like not overweight, they had small neck and jaw structure. So these these women probably that had orthodontics in their life, and the biggest risk factor comes from where we have extraction orthodontics, where teeth are pulled out and the jaws pulled back. So women that have had that um, have the 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 highest uh, risk uh, craniofacial um, type because the airway has been completely collapsed. And so these these um, these. Uh, people really do have a silent syndrome where they present with teeth grinding. They present with digestive issues. They present with anxiety, depression, cold hands and feet. So Reynolds syndrome, because the autonomic nervous system is pushed to sympathetic drive, but only silently. They don't snore because they don't have the, all of the, the neck fat and everything that, um, uh, that, 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 that normally contributes to the oropharyngeal vibration of the, uh, of the upper airway, but they have this silent um, uh, respiratory efforts where the brain is pushing the jaw forward and waking us up slightly, may not even be waking us up completely. And what they do is they don't have restful sleep, but they can't find that they have a sleep um, 
syndrome and they and they they basically have this until they do get sleep apnea later in life so so a uh, women like this will have this, um, will develop sleep apnea, but not until they're 40, 50, 60. And so there's this whole subset of the population that have this risk factor. And what you find is that it's, it's the people that do have the retronathic jaws. So the jaws that sit back in the, um, in the throat, it's the people that have the high narrow palates. So the, the, the roof of the mouth, um, that doesn't, uh, that, that doesn't support the nasal, uh, airway. So, and then, in um, adolescence, this is where they have crooked teeth. So if you have crooked teeth, you, you are, you've been shown in the literature to be at higher risk of upper airway resistance syndrome. And it's just that you may not have been diagnosed completely. So anyone with any kind of sleep issue, or if you think you breathe through the mouth at night, that's a, it's a big risk factor, then you're very likely in this category of people that have this sleep syndrome that is related to both how you, how your jaws have developed, which, which have a, predisposition to um to sleep issues but then how you use the airways too so some people um for instance if you had an adult tongue tie um i had mine released and so you can have a tongue tie released in adulthood um you may not sit the tongue to the roof of the mouth and this doesn't support the airway at the back of the throat here so when we don't posture the tongue properly and if you don't do that at night the tongue will fall back in the throat and then you'll get this vibration and blockage of the airway at night I mean, this is like a classic example of what's wrong with, I think, modern medicine is that we like wait until something is so bad before we classify it and diagnose it and are willing to fix it. It's like, no, no, you don't have a problem until you stop breathing this much every night when you're going to sleep. Until then, just kind of deal with it. Don't worry about it. Um, this is crazy. Okay. I didn't know any of that. Um, so let's go back to, you know, one of the things you said at the beginning was, a lot of the work that you do is dedicated to being as preventative and proactive um, with these things as you possibly can with young people um, coming up with exercises or protocol or lifestyle changes that are going to help um, address these issues rather than wait until you have to do like jaw surgery or something or braces or something like that. Um, but it does seem to me like there's probably a lot of people who are maybe for lack of a better term, kind of too far gone for a lot of this stuff. Not to say you shouldn't be like fixing your breathing, fixing your nutrition. Um, but in your opinion, is there still like a strong place for um, like jaw surgeries and braces and sort of all of this like surgical rearrangement that we can do these days to kind of set people up for more success moving forward if they're already have so many issues that they're presenting. There's still a role for it. Absolutely. Um, so the surgeries for certain people can really help because so the hard thing about bones and teeth is that once they develop, there is some, um, there's some finality in it, in it. So you, you've got this period, um, you know, between, more or less between uh, naught and 12 where your, your craniofacial system is growing and developing. So up until um, up until two to three, the, 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 the kid's dentition sets in. So all the milk teeth set in um, and then between six or five, six and 12, all the milk teeth fall out and then you get um, 28 adult teeth come in and then the wisdom teeth come in at 20. Now, once you hit that 12 mark, there is a, there, there's a, a level of um, rigid 
rigidness in the um, in the bone structure in that they just don't change. And so what happens is that earlier, the, the bones are much more membranous and they're much more um, collagenous. And so they actually respond to um, to movement and and, um, and to pressure signals. And so the simple um, um, pressure signal of the tongue to the roof of the mouth or putting a, an expander into a five or six year old will have a miraculous change in the jaw structure because the bones are just malleable. You know, the, the, the body is designed um, to have these hormonal signals to go and place bone. You lose those signals, but they're not gone. You, so in the adult, you can still actually have, uh, you still have a mid palatine suture, which is the line that runs up, um, the middle of the roof of your mouth. And if you stimulate that suture, your, your body will, will place stem cells and that will activate those stem cells to place bone. So you can expand the upper narrow, uh, the a narrow up, upper adult arch. Um, I do some of it myself. Um, by wearing expand and just placing that that pressure on the the um on the adult arch and so people can have um significant change in adulthood it's just a lot slower and harder um so there and there are surgical techniques so the severe end of the spectrum is surgery where um we kind of cut open the the maxilla and pull it forward and it's pretty brutal stuff but for some people they have life-changing um uh, results from it but it's expensive and very difficult you know not a lot of people have the space or the resource to be able to go and have a surgery like that in order to be able to you know breathe better right so there are there's a growing amount of adult intervention in that we can develop the arch um and the other thing too is that there's a lot of soft tissue and nutrient input as well so when you um when you posture the tongue properly you support the airway and your airway actually begins to to work better because you don't have so much resistance down the back of the throat so tongue posture is really important and even through exercise you know i really think the the mouth taped exercise movement is really helping us to because that daytime breathing um really does help to um to to program how the brain sleeps at night because your brain is moves into a subconscious pattern of breathing when you sleep if you can't tolerate nasal breathing through through exercise, then you really can't. You expect your um, your airway and your brain to to breathe when all your um, all your facial muscles relax during sleep. You need to train that, and so that's a great way that people can just help to connect to the respiratory system that you've got. And for some people, yeah, you've got some craniofacial, um, you know, issues, you know, like for instance, I, I, I didn't develop lower wisdom teeth. So I probably don't have enough, um, as uh, much um, uh, transverse space in my, in my lower jaw. But um, you know, if, I had a tongue tie release as well as an adult. So I've been able to train my tongue to help to sit to the roof of the mouth. I'm still working on it. Um, but these are the kind of things that people with sleep apnea can work on. They can change the the way they, they breathe through the day. They can decrease the amount of, um, of congestion in their sinuses by eating nutrient dense foods and remo removing all the processed foods. And then they can do small things to, to change the, um, the architecture that they've got as well. This is so fascinating. Um, so one question that is coming up to me, and this is like the pessimist in me, I've asked this question relating to functional medicine um, folks as well, where so many of the challenges or issues that you're talking about 
are not necessarily immediately obvious that they are dental related issues. So if you have sleep apnea, or if you're just a, you know, again, like a 35 year old, relatively healthy ish woman who has crap sleep and their, their, um, uh, hands and feet get cold really easily. And maybe they're kind of anxious and, you know, they, how would you ever connect it to being potentially something that could be fixed, um, you know, within the mouth, um, all of these other issues, like how would one, and then also the fact that there aren't a ton of you around, there aren't a ton of functional dentists around who would be able to recognize these things. You go to the dentist and instead of just saying you've got a cavity or you've got some crooked teeth, let's put some braces on you. There, there's so many more avenues that you can explore. So how would someone who is having some of these struggles, who may be having issues breathing, who may have, you know, jaw pain, be grinding their jaw, who may, you know, have a tongue tie and maybe don't even know it, all of these things. How would you even begin to recognize these issues as being things that dentistry can look to address? Yeah, it's a big issue. It really is. You know, I get a lot of questions about this all the time that there's no one near me and that, you know, what, you know, they're not even sure that they can get the diagnosis. There's a big look. I think broadly people really have to, to kind of realize that they're dabbling in parts of their health that would be seen um, by probably 98% of the, um, you know, the healthcare population as normal. So, if you're going to be, if you want to go and change these kind of things, it's going to be on you. And, you know, th- that means that you really need to, to, to go and do your research and understand, you know, what I'd really suggest is go back and think about your history. Look at what your parents, you know, if your parents are still alive, look at how they, um, the, the conditions they suffered, because you will be a reflection on what they did. And dental issues really do flow in families, the types of jaw relationships, um, flow in families as well. So, you know, your susceptibilities quite quickly. And, and then did you breastfeed? Um, you know, talk to your mom about that. Did you, were you an easy feeder? How did you eat when you were a child? Like, were you brought up on a, you know, standard American diet? Um, you know, you can easily see the warning signs, um, you know, showing how you came to the point that you're at today. A lot of that starts to um, demystify the problems you've had. So if you've got uh, a um, an adult with, you know, adenoids and tonsils that are swollen, they can't breathe through the nose. And, but you find that, you know, they couldn't breastfeed maybe because they, um, uh, for whatever reason, maybe they had a tongue tie or, or something along those lines. Then you're starting to say, well, you know, i I didn't get this development of my um, nasal sinus um, and, and the back of my throat because um, I couldn't breastfeed, but I can help to connect the, the tongue to the roof of the mouth now. And some of these principles are really simple. It's breathing through the nose with the tongue to the roof of the mouth and understanding that we can, we can intervene in issues like, you know, inflammation in the nose, like, um, you know, sinusitis and so forth, that neti pot do as an adult, you can do that as an adult. So there are really simple principles that were led to of breathing nutrients and general posture that really are on you. And, and no practitioner is going to fix those things. They can show you, but you really have to go home and, and the work is on you. And um, for, for instance, for the kids that we, um, so we can grow and develop and prevent breaking is now in the clinic um but the the work is on the child they have to wear the devices they have to do the exercise and we know when they haven't done it and you know 
know, it's basically we sit there for the appointment with our hands up in the air because they haven't participated. And so I think the idea that um, a practitioner is going to come along, you know, in a, with a white robe and save you, it, it's really not that, um, it's it's not that picture when the model of medicine we're moving into. You can certainly connect and with and um, help practitioners to understand where you're at and your options for modalities. But a lot of the path is going to be your own um, your own you know shifting your your lifestyles and understanding how that all impacts you know not only how you grow grow and develop you you grew and develop but also to how that that moves forward there's a lot of changes that can happen i've changed absolutely um the corner on how i sleep and how i um my posture at work for instance has just been such a life-changing thing to understand tongue posture and it's that simple and for most people it really would have that kind of life-changing um impact if we just see how simple it is Yeah, I actually really love that answer because it's something that, you know, to a lesser extent, I deal with, you know, doing some sort of health coaching and things like that and and working alongside many functional medicine physicians. And um, there is this element of, you know, you need to advocate for yourself, you need to do the research and you need to do the work. And it, it is up to you to find, you know, the resources. And when you get people who are knowledgeable and who can help you down the right path, that's great, but it's still you doing the work. There's no amount of incredible, valuable information in the world that's going to fix you if you're not willing to, to, to do the research, do the work, apply it yourself. So um, I think that's a really important piece. And also what you're saying that, you know, we, we can't necessarily control what, where we came from and what we've been exposed to up to this point, but there are always things we can be doing. So it's the same with overall health. If you have um, autoimmune issues, or if you grew up eating a terrible diet and now you're trying to change it, there are always things you can be doing. You can make different choices moving forward. And little things like you're saying, tongue posture, breathing exercises, um, the types of foods you decide to eat, those can make significant differences. um, Even if you maybe, you know, don't have your wisdom teeth and like I got mine taken out, maybe you've got like a, the jaw issue that isn't so great, but like there are things you can do. And I think that that's, it should be empowering rather than overwhelming. I, I hope people take that away from this, that there's, there is always so much you can be doing. It's important. Absolutely. And, and just on the, um, the uh, topic of sleep apnea, you know, sleep apnea is a breathing problem. So, um, you know, this is an epidemic of people that don't know how to breathe at night. Well, their body doesn't know how to breathe at night. And so connecting to how you breathe in the day, that, that's really a simple, um, you know, it, it's a simple way to one, connect to how your neuro, neurological system um you know, works and, and, and understanding that, but, you know, for the most part, we just don't think of it that way. And so it really is a, um, you know, a growing epidemic that, that we can address with simple lifestyle changes. Mm -hmm. And the, the breathing stuff is interesting too, because I, I've done some, like some breathwork courses and, and done plenty of research and all this stuff. And like, one of the things that I took away from it with just my own practice was that I would try to start, doing certain exercises or workouts with my mouth closed the entire time, right? Because it's very easy. And for some of us, like I have no problem generally going through life with my mouth closed. Um, But when I do a workout, you know, it's kind of like all bets are off. As soon as my heart rate goes up or if I'm starting to sweat, 
you know, I'm going to start breathing through my mouth because it's easier. And if you can be mindful and like approach that, you know, I'm doing whatever my spin class or if I'm doing a circuit or something and I am no matter what, the first priority is keeping my mouth shut and breathing in a controlled way through my nose. It's humbling because it's going to affect how hard you can work and, and probably your performance, but it's also improving your carbon dioxide tolerance, right? It's improving and it's going to improve your fitness over time um, so that you have more capacity than if you're just constantly using this sympathetic nervous system, like fight or flight, gasping through your mouth kind of approach. So that's, that's another like very, again, simple, not easy approach that anyone can start implementing now is like, you know, not if you're doing like a sprint workout or something, but like your next, like kind of whatever workout, just do it with your mouth shut and see what that experience is like for you. You know, um, I think that's really interesting. Um, and so then you also advocate for this, um, you know, tape your mouth shut while you sleep kind of situation for people to, to try out. Yeah, it's a good, for some people that will feel, um, if it feels like that, you know, that's going to be too confronting, it, it may not be for you. Um, but if it does feel confronting, I would just say that, look, you want to get to the stage where it doesn't feel so, um, you know, like, like you're going to suffocate because you can, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you can literally see the patients um, panic in their eyes sometimes when you suggest it. Um, and it's just, the, it's just the first step in the way I kind of use it. So for example, for me, when I first did it, I found that I was ripping the tape off and, um, you know, every night for about three months, I just could not sleep with it on. And it's because my body couldn't deal with the, um, you know, with the extra pressure through my, through my upper airway. But eventually, you know, when, when I began to realize that, you know, this, it, you have to, um, you know, modify your, your, daytime breathing in order for, to tolerate it you know it, it began to sit and then i began to sleep with my mouth taped through the night and the difference between um breathing through your nose and the mouth at night it really is profound it's like having 10 coffees in the morning because you've actually slept where your glymphatic system is all calm and that your brain is clearing out properly and your respiratory system has been able to calm the autonomic nervous system so your brain can actually do everything it needs to do during sleep um and so yeah, the mouth taping thing, it does help um, some people. So some people can just do it and that's them. Um, but then if you can't do it, it means there's deeper dysfunction there that you have to explore. And then a practitioner may be able to help you with that. So um, some people do need um, the nasal surgery. Some people you know, may need um, some widening of the jaw or even um, you know, a mandibular advancement splint just to, to help hold the jaw forward. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, we aren't going to have time to talk about everything that I want to cover, but I do want to also touch on, um, because we've talked a lot about breathing, um, so far, I do want to talk a little bit about like tooth decay and diet and digestion and how all of these things are, um, connected. And I, you know, we don't even need to really go into detail about how different and crazy and frankly, terrible, um, the modern sort of diet is certainly in North America. And I'm sure in Australia, it's, it's, it's similar. Um, and how that is affecting all aspects of our health, um, including, um, dental health and things like 
cavities and, and stuff like that, but also like maybe the acidity or the changing in our like saliva, in our um, gut microbiome, all of that stuff. So can you kind of speak maybe just like high level to, um, again, the kind of major issues you're seeing and how we can start addressing this? I suppose anything other than just eat less sugar, because we kind of already know that, is, is there more to the story or is it that simple? <laughs> No, there's a lot more to the story. So, so sugar is, is, is a big factor in tooth decay. Um, but it's really is a superficial factor where, um, we've seen, um, uh, tooth decay to be a very su superficial, um, you know, bacterial driven disease in the mouth. Um, but what we've missed is that there's a whole immune system inside the teeth. Um, so each tooth has a dental pulp that is connected to your circulatory systems, connected to the nervous systems, connected to the lymphatic system. And what that is doing is teeth actually absorb nutrients. Um, there was a really interesting study in the 60s and 70s show that when you inject radioactive, radioactive dyes into uh, um, into mice, you can actually get them to excrete it through the teeth. And when you give them a sugary um, solution, you can actually reverse that and get them to absorb through the, through the teeth as well. And so teeth are absorbing nutrients um, all the time. They're like trees. They're not like kind of arbitrary, you know, um, porcelain vases that just crack or, or, or degrade when you put sugar on them. It's a very, very superficial um, view that we see it, see it this way. So when you, when we think about decay and we think about, um, you know, holes in teeth, it's, it's a failure of the immune system. It's a failure of the body to have the resources in order to remineralize um, our the, the dentine. So inside the teeth, you have odontoblasts that are like little SWAT cells. And what they do is they release immune factors and they tell the body to remineralize if certain bacterial colonies in the mouth are degrading the enamel too much because your teeth enamel are in constant flux with the salivary environment. So they're constantly trading minerals, calcium um, with the saliva and bacteria are running this. And so what happens is your body should be able to just adapt to this. And when you eat an ancestral diet, when, um, when you don't eat refined foods, this just happens naturally. And you don't find tooth decay in any animal across the planet, except for those um, that eat the modern human diet all those that are in, in captivity it just doesn't happen because you're, if you're in the wild and you get, a, you get a hole in your tooth, you're finished. Like a dental abscess will, you know, it's going to be very difficult to survive. You're going to have to pull the tooth out yourself. Um, so it just doesn't happen. You have a whole system there in order to, to change this. And the system is what we mentioned before. So the, the price found that um, human society has been based around foods that are rich in fat soluble vitamins, A, D and K2, when you supply odontoblasts in inside your teeth with these nutrients, it has the immune uh, response in order to, um, in order to, to remineralize any issue in the teeth. So when you have a sugary solution in the mouth, yes, it does um, increase, uh, decrease uh, the pH and increase the acidity, but you should have the, um, the system there to rebalance this. And so when you have kids with decay, you see a lot of kids with decay, you know, my mind goes straight to deficiency. Um, instead of, you know, yes, we do need to be removing these harmful foods, which is refined carbohydrates, um, including flowers, um, grains, um, any kind of, you know, uh, a lot of the baked foods that the kids are eating today, packaged foods, it's all full of these refined flowers that do fuel these bacteria. But 
we need to replace them with the nutrient dense um, fat soluble rich food, which are organs, which are bone broths, um, which are fatty cuts of meats, uh, grass raised dairy. These are the foods that support um, this immune system inside your teeth. Instead of just seeing it as something that we scrub and clean and disinfect, um, it's it's a a dietary problem that has its superficial um, or its its local um, symbiotic balance with bacteria. So there are bacteria living in your oral microbiome all um, all the time. You swallow thousands of them every second, and and they communicate with the gut microbiome. So your mouth is connected with the digestive system, and that's connected to your immune system. And so these bacteria they depend on you eating these nutrients, though, because we know that um, you know. Vitamin D in the microbiome is, is critically important for um, you know for for balancing and and for certain issues that people get with digestion. So you know um, IBS, for instance. So vitamin D deficiency is closely connected. Well, you find these. It just hasn't been studied as much, but you find vitamin D deficiency connected um, to tooth decay. So the great Canadian study that showed there's relative um, increase of decay when you um, when you decrease the levels of um, of of vitamin D in the blood. And so we're just not seeing it as an internal, it's the same kind of thing. It's like how we react to this environment. Yes, sugar is a factor. And yes, the modern diet does trash our teeth. But if you, if we eat these foods that we're designed to, the whole system works so that we don't have, um, we, we, you know, we, we just don't get decay because we're immune to it. Yeah. And more resilient, I suppose, in, in yeah. a lot of ways. Um, okay. Is it true, I feel like I read somewhere that, and maybe not for like severe tooth decay or cavities, can you, if you are doing the right things and you are eating the right things, um, can you reverse tooth decay? So that's a, um, that's something that, that dentists are taught in dental school, that um, dentine has this ability to remineralize itself. So um, the, the, the cells that I mentioned before, they can actually repair broken dentin. They can't repair enamel. They can kind of stop the process in enamel. So enamel is the outer shell of the tooth. The dentin is kind of the inner layer. Um, so in dentin, um, you can actually have a hard layer of reparative dentin laid down when um, when the body responds to um, to the lesion. So if a lesion is there long enough, sometimes and it's kind of seen as random in in dental schools. Like, well, this is this is a um, an arrested lesion, and th- or this is a, a lesion that's still active. But we, and we don't question what's happening in the body in order to make that response. But so yes, you can have that. And so the the darker brown color, if you look at a, um, a, a carious lesion, um, that's would be considered an active lesion where there's it's soft to touch with the dental probe. Um, and then the black lesions are actually quite hard and they've actually been sealed over. So this is a this is a known dental phenomenon that the body can remineralize um, these um, these lesions and it's difficult to do because you have to control a lot of things. And so a, a lot of the time, um, so in parents or people that come in wanting to remineralize lesions, you know, I, I give them the program to do it, but controlling all these factors. And we have to remember too, that um, teeth are, it's a long-term um, issue that your body's been dealing with in order to, um, in, in order for a cavity to appear. So yeah, you have to see it in that way that, that it, it it is quite, um, you know, a, a long-term issue where deficiency and both imbalances have contributed to 
the skeletal system in the mouth breaking down. Um, but you can do it. And, but the, the main thing I, I really suggest people, um, you know, think of, think of it in this way is if you have a cavity and yeah, look at dental restorations are great, you know, like they, they really do kind of build up the, um, you know, the, the structure that we lose in our teeth, but what you want is you want sound structure underneath that. And so if you build these foundations in, yeah, you might need a restoration long-term because it doesn't look great to have all cavities through your mouth. Um, you can do that, but having restoration in with sound foundations up because you've built the principles back in so that your body can, can um, create this um, mineralized wall, then you're going to have much better long-term um, long-term uh, results than someone that, that has recurrent decay under the restoration. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. One more question and then I'll let you, cause I know you have like a full day of work that you still have to get to, but we talked a little bit, you talked a little bit at the very beginning about some more kind of severe issues that can be related um, possibly to the mouth, like things like, um, uh, Alzheimer's and like serious, you know, and I've heard, I've heard like kind of scary stories about, um, like blood issues or like severe, um, maybe even like neurological issues that can happen in the body that are a result of poor dental hygiene or oral health. Um, how, if you can just sort of as briefly as I know, it's probably impossible to do kind of summarize how, something as a lot of us think as innocuous as like, okay, maybe I eat too much sugar. I don't floss enough. Like I got a couple cavities, like how this can, can grow and become so insidious and so serious that it can infect and affect our bodies in that kind of serious long lasting way. Yeah, totally. So the, um, probably one of the most stark ways that it happens is in a condition um, that is more infective in nature, but so it's called infective endocarditis. And that's where a, a gum pathogen actually leaks into the, um, into the, the arteries of the mouth and it, and it travels straight to the heart and it mimics the, um, the tissue of the heart and causes an autoimmune reaction and an inflammatory lesion on the heart. And so what they, what they did do for a long time for people that were at risk of this condition is that they would make sure they'd have an antibiotic before dental treatment so that they didn't have these, um, these bacteria traveling to the cardiovascular tissue. But so what that's showing us is that that's, that's quite a rare and um, you know, lesser known case, but it shows you how interconnected the body is to, um, to what's happening to the mouth. And so we see the mouth as being this separate organ, but it really is part of the digestive system is the gut, like it's right there. And, you know, you, you, you perform about, you know, 30, 40% of digestion right in the mouth from chewing. Um, and we, we have these connections. So what you, what happens is that in a lot of conditions, you get oral bacteria um, building up in certain parts of the body. So um, appendicitis have found that you get oral bacteria building up there, which they now think that um, the, the, the appendix is actually a reservoir for bacteria. So it seems that when you get this imbalance and that's just long-term imbalance, the same thing as tooth decay. Tooth decay is a long-term imbalance in the bacteria and a deficiency um, of the body not being able to deal with these, um, the mineral imbalances as a result. But so what happens is that you get this, this imbalance feeding through the body. So you're constantly swallowing this disease. Um, and then the gut then, then turns as a result and then your immune system turns. So autoimmune issues. So the big one that, um, that we've just completely missed is that gum disease, um, gum disease is the body eating away at the tissues of the mouth. So the, the, 
the um, the tissues that hold the teeth in place and you get a bleeding inflammatory lesion. And what happens is it, it eats away those tissues. Well, um, an autoimmune condition is the immune system eating away at another organ or another part of the body. We've not called gum disease an autoimmune condition, but it really is. And when you look at the literature, um, autoimmune diseases happen together. They happen together because you've got a reactive immune system. Well, periodontal disease happens as well with autoimmune conditions. And so like there's this strange connection where we've just perceived things all differently. So any autoimmune condition, we should be treating um, periodontal disease along. So we should be considering the, the bacteria in the mouth because that's what's controlling the leaky um, the leaky intestinal permeable, per sorry, the um, permeable intestinal um, lining because of the, the the imbalances in the mouth, and so and when you treat try to treat the the gut lining without um, addressing the gums, it's it's craziness that you're that you're trying to do that. I see so many people that have been going on these gut healing journeys and have these oral issues just bubbling along and just feeding them. And they just say, they just say, I'm not getting you as well. You've not fixing the whole system. And really kind of most excitingly is that they find oral, not excitingly, but it's kind of for this conversation, it's exciting, but you find oral bacteria in the brain of Alzheimer's patients, um, both in mice and, and, and you can induce Alzheimer's dementia-like symptoms by um, by feeding periodontal pathogens, and it's the most common periodontal pathogen that is present when your gums bleed. And it's like it's kind of that simple. It's just that we've seen it completely in a, in a disconnect. We've seen it and treated and perceived it in a separate light, and so we've never been able to really like pin it together. But it, it, it's all there in the literature. We just don't um, look at it that way. <sighs> Okay, um, Dr. Lin, thank you so much for taking the time to just scratch the surface, I know, of all of this stuff. I'm gonna have to have you on again because there's so much more we haven't talked about, but I know you're a busy man. You got a lot of people vying for your time today, so um, I'm gonna be respectful of that. But I guess maybe one of the things that listeners can take from this because there's a ton of information that we covered. Some of it's pretty intense. There's a lot going on. There's a lot further that, that in terms of research and understanding that people can, can go, um, but maybe some high level takeaways from this as with everything when it comes to health is that there are things you can be doing. There is research you can be doing. There are actions you can take every day. And some of them are relatively simple. And some of them that we discussed are breathe through your nose whenever you can. Tongue posture, keep your tongue on the roof of your mouth while that mouth is closed. Uh, eat nutrient dense, real foods. And I like that you also touched on, it's more about having, injecting the nutrients, adding the nutrients than it is about removing all the other stuff, which is still an important piece. But I think even like from a psychology perspective, I think it's useful um, that it's not always about restricting, taking away, never having this again. It's more about making yourself more resilient through these practices, eating real food, breathing through your mouth, breathing properly, um, nourishing your body with the oxygen and the micronutrients that you need. Is that, is that a fair takeaway? Yeah, absolutely. And the, um, you know, you know, probably something we didn't get to talk about is something that, that governs all that is the um, connecting to circadian rhythm. So the light and dark cycle. So it runs everything people who don't sleep well. And so when you're trying to correct your nutrients, correct your breathing, you know, connecting to how light and dark works in the world, it really does help how all these systems intercorrelate in the body too. Mm -hmm. 
you put a lot of valuable information on your Instagram. So I'll make sure I put that in the show notes as well. But for anybody who's listening, who's thinking like, some of this is resonating with me. I definitely want to learn more. I need to nerd out on all this now. Where are some places that they can go to either learn more about you or access, you know, some more information about these topics? Yeah. So my website's drstephenlin.com uh, and my socials are at drstephenlin. Uh, and my book is The Dental Diet, which is kind of the, um, yeah, the, the understanding of how these um, diseases happen, but then the, the way that we implement some of the food principles in our everyday life too. Nice. So your book combined with my book, they have every bit of information they would ever need about how to eat healthy and for optimal robust resilience, I think. That's why I loved your book, Ashley. Yeah. So it's really important for people to eat organ. I just cannot emphasize that anymore. (laughs) Well, I appreciate it. I'm glad there are other people like you who are doing it and not just me because I do feel like it's an uphill battle sometimes, but every other smart person out there who's telling people to eat organ meats, it makes my job a little bit easier. So um, I appreciate that. Thank you so much for your time today. And um, yeah, I'd love to have you back on to to talk again some more, maybe um, when both of our babies are a little bit older and we've, we've both have some more sleep we'll see exactly yeah i'd love to actually thank you so much for having me thank you okay that's all for today folks thank you so much for listening thank you to dr stephen lynn I told you this one did have a lot of information, right? Um, and there, that was barely scratching the surface. So definitely go give him a follow on Instagram if you're on there. It's just Dr. Stephen Lynn, Stephen with a V. Um, he posts a ton of valuable free information. So definitely go do that. Um, and I think, you know, I like to usually recap big, heavy episodes with like one takeaway, at least my takeaway, um, because there's so much from this one. But the one thing that kind of sticks with me. Um, and I've heard this from other like breath work experts, um, and people like that too. Just something to think about if you're not talking or eating, we should have our mouth shut, you know? And I think that that's good advice, uh, just in general in life, right? Like if you don't have something valuable, uh, to say, or you're not eating, just shut your mouth. You'll probably, probably do better in life in general. If we, stick to that advice. Um, so anyway, that's my two cents, but, uh, give him a follow, send me a message and give me some feedback. If you liked this episode, please rate, review, share, tag me on social media. You can find me at the muscle maven. Um, because I just love to hear your feedback, whether you like it, whether you didn't like it, whether there was something you'd prefer, we talked about more, the more feedback you give me, the better I can make this podcast for you. Um, so with that, thank you to our show sponsor, medicine man plant co they're amazing, uh, an amazing small company. They make these really uniquely formulated herbal supplements to support optimal health and immune function. Their products are rigorously third-party tested. They have ingredients that are real food-based, things like elderberry, vitamin C, echinacea, cordyceps, lots of plant and mushroom uh, combinations, natural ingredients that humans have used for generations for longer than we can imagine to support uh, health. And I've actually done a couple mini episodes with their resident uh, formula creator. Um, We did one on the health benefits of sage 
and one on the health benefits of black pepper. And I'm going to keep doing them if you guys like them. I've gotten really great feedback so far. And these aren't um, these episodes aren't about selling their products. They're really just about actual, um, you know, spices and herbs that you already have in your pantry and why they're beneficial. So I thought that was really cool. Um, but you can learn more about their uh, the company and all of the research that goes into their products. You can learn more about their products at medicinemanplantco.com. And you can use the code MUSCLEMAVEN for 20% off any of their products if you decide to give them a shot. And as always, if you have questions about the company, about the products, just send me a message. You can send them a message too. But if you want to reach out to me, I can get you the information you're looking for um, because I want to be transparent. I only talk about companies that I believe in. And I think these guys are great. So medicinemanplantco.com, code MUSCLEMAVEN for 20% off. And uh, that's it. I hope you have an awesome week and join me again next Tuesday. We'll be right back.